0: Welcome, welcome to the first episode of the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, James Bell III, and I am so excited to kick off this venture. It's been something that I've thought about for quite some time, and it is a reflection of the title, actually, a long time coming. It has been about four or five years since the idea of the Equity Matters Podcast first came to be, actually at a Cracker Barrel. With my line brother, Jermaine Ruffin, shout out to Jermaine Ruffin. And if you're not listening, check out the Streets Are Planning podcast. We had this idea to sit down and talk about not only equity topics, but talk about the value and the importance of equity in these spaces. And he works in urban planning. I'm a social worker, as you'll come to learn. And you can't go a day without thinking about equity, equity principles, applying an equity lens. What does it mean to be inclusive? And so I wanted to create a space where professionals, people who work in the field, people who do the work can actually come together and speak to some of the challenges that they faced out in the field. And also talking about some of their successes, the highlights, the things that we often miss because we're constantly thinking about the next fire. And so with a long time coming, I want to start things off kind of with an intro, a little bit about me. I am from the city of Detroit, Detroit, Michigan, that is born and raised a product of Detroit public schools. I went to the Renaissance High School and went to Michigan State University under the premise that I was going to become a clinical psychologist. And I took the psychology courses and said, okay, this is kind of interesting. But it was actually my junior year when I had an, an internship at a local neighborhood organization where I first got introduced to social work. And in that role, I had the opportunity to be a part of a community outreach and engagement team. And with that, I was knocking on doors, talking to folks, finding out, you know, what's what's working well for them, what could we possibly be doing to make things better, and just creating these relationships between community and a nonprofit organization. And I was like, this this is kind of cool. And so it was my senior year at MSU when I decided to you say, you know what? I want to make this a thing. And so I actually decided to apply to a few different masters of social works program. And so the first program was Loyola in Chicago and Michigan state. And Loyola said, we're going to give you $5,000, which is to them. They said it was a, a generous scholarship. And for me, It wasn't. Uh, MSU actually gave me the opportunity to be a graduate assistant. And so thinking about my finances, thinking about my long term goals, it became evident that MSU was going to be my home for the next two years. And so in those next two years, I got exposed to more and more, which really helped me to drill down into macro social work. And shout out to all the clinicians out there, but there's no way I could do it. I think my brain is just processed for organizations, for communities, for systems. And it it worked for me. And it's funny because when I think about social work and I think about my, my own social work journey, I never thought about I'm going to do this because I want to help people. I did this because I simply knew the difference between right and wrong and what I saw in many cases was wrong. And I think that's what keeps me going most of the time is just understanding that things are not the way that they are because of happenstance. There there's a reason behind all of the ills that we see in this world today. And we'll get to that, I'm sure, multiple times throughout the course of our time together. And so traversing through graduate education, you know, I had a, a field placement at a juvenile justice facility, working directly with the youth. Didn't really like that either. I had another field placement working with um, our local community mental health organization, which exposed me to more of the administrative side of things. I said, okay, I can, I can get with this. I understand policy, I understand the relationships necessary to, to advocate. And that's where I, I found home. And those two years go really quick. And by the time I graduated, I was stressing out again because I needed to get a job. Real life was coming at me fast. And actually, the day I graduated, I received a phone call from our Department of Human Services for a child protective services job. And for anyone that works in CPS, I just want to salute you right now because I know what it's like to be in the field all day. You haven't had a chance to eat. You have a child that desperately needs your help, and there's only so much that you can do. You have field notes that are waiting for you when you get back. And burnout is apparent. So just, just take a moment and breathe. I want to you know, just reflect on self-care for a moment. If, if you can, please do. But child welfare prepared me in a way for what I think was the rest of my career in many ways. It was the ability to understand The system in which we worked in the ability to understand that these situations don't just occur because a parent decides that they want to neglect their child. And I think that was the hardest part for me working in child welfare was reconciling that with what I was exposed to and what what the expectations of me were. You know, I had never enjoyed removing a child from their family. Even if I had to place them with another family member, it was never something that I enjoyed there. It was it was troublesome to me to go into a house and tell someone all the things that they were doing wrong when I really wanted to say, here are the supports that you need and this is how we can get them together. I spent about a year in child welfare and I I knew that it was time for me to go. I then moved on to a policy role with a public health institute and this policy role, thinking back on, you know, my time in grad school was was right up my alley. Now granted, it was a health IT, which I knew very little about, but came to learn very quickly. There's no way that you can learn everything about health IT. Again, it was a matter of relationships. I learned that there were other groups who had a particular lens toward the work. And I started to be exposed to more in reference to other public health need. And this is where I was actually introduced to this concept of equity and the concept of disparities, the concept of, of true social justice was actually working in public health. And after, after about two years, I started down this track of facilitation And for anybody who's ever facilitated formally, you know, it is it's actually a process It's it's not just making a meeting agenda. It's actually getting behind the psyche of how we move from point A to point B, identifying objectives, identifying milestones throughout the day and creating a process for all those things to flow naturally. And I was able to combine that facilitation with the equity work. And I found that to just be so exciting to be able to sit down with a community organization and say, Hey, we got a challenge here, but we're going to get through it. And we're going to get through it together. So one of my, my biggest projects that I was attached to, I actually got to provide technical assistance to four communities throughout the U S. Um, so this was me branching out into more of a national scale of things. And they were facing various problems. One of them was tobacco cessation. One of them happened to be uh, substance abuse and talking through some of those challenges with those communities and really getting my hands dirty with them was invigorating and the more I got comfortable being labeled as kind of an expert someone who you know more or less knew what they were talking about the easier it was for me to go into certain spaces and this this transition as well because Around the same time as when I made the decision with my family, said, "Hey, I I want to go back to school and I want to get my doctoral degree," and it was something that I had always considered. It was always on the back of my mind, but I was never sure if that was going to be something that fit into things. You know, I, I left out quite a bit in this story, but over the course of through grad school and through the first job, I, I met a young lady who eventually became my wife. Who eventually became the mother of my twin boys. And I didn't know if a doctoral program would fit into my life's plans. And so, of course, after doing research, I found myself applying to the University of Southern California, where I am currently a doctoral candidate, where my focus is on implicit racial bias in the healthcare system. And so, going back to that idea of access, I thought about why did i need a degree especially if i already been doing the work and i wanted to create space for others i wanted to be a vessel and a vehicle to support the work that people are doing in communities that are not uplifted and that's reflected in this equity matters podcast for me it's it's not a matter of you know doing it for clout there's a ton of other things we could be doing but There are people who are genuinely out there with a social justice mindset who are not recognized. And part of the Equity Matters podcast is to to amplify and uplift those voices. And well, you know, we talk about why, why equity matters, why equity matters. Now, look outside. We are in the middle of an unprecedented pandemic where disparities and inequities are so rampant. I've never in my life seen so many articles at one time talking about the impacts of racism in our various systems and our various structures, how institutional racism has permeated through through education, how it is remained a constant force in housing, how our public health system, our public health infrastructure is completely devastated if we're talking about COVID in particular, how People of color are not being screened the same way. They're not being tested the same way. They're not and they're dying. Greater rates. And you have to ask yourself why. And it becomes very clear you're looking at an inequitable system. And so this is this is my point to say that equity matters when anything that we're doing, any solution that we're creating, any intervention that's being developed, equity matters. And we have to adopt that equity mindset and that equity lens if we really want to make a difference. And I actually saw a meme earlier today where they were talking about Black Lives Matter. And the thing that stood out to me is if we were talking about this from an equitable standpoint, and we, we all get this. It's not saying that everyone else's life doesn't matter. It's just saying that we want everyone to have the opportunity for their life to matter. And so I, I say all of this to say this. I want to welcome you to the Equity Matters podcast. I have a lot planned, a lot of exciting guests that I'll be featuring throughout the course of our time. And I'm looking forward to learning and I'm looking forward to sharing. I know there are people out there doing marvelous things for communities, for their neighborhoods, for their academic institutions. And I really want to highlight that. I mean, I, I can't make it any more planned than that. I, I want to hear about how diversity, equity, and inclusion have played a role in their own journey. How they have managed to to mitigate the system that refuses to change, the systems that are bound by history, by power, by privilege, because we're working in a a vacuum, but we have much work to do. And so I don't want to take up too much time Part of this is me recording because I started to get in my own head telling myself, oh, why are you doing this? You you ain't got it like that. You need to just fall back and leave it to the pros. Well, quite frankly, I am the pros. And I think it's time for us to go ahead and get ready because as long as I'm here, as long as you can hear my voice, just know that equity matters. Talk to you soon.